Hi, What The Health Tech listeners. I'm your host this week, Kaylee Levine. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week, we're speaking to Joanne Howard, Director of Nursing and Quality at Mulling Health. Hi, Jo. Outside of Hi, Hayley. <laughs> Outside of work, Joanne loves getting on her mountain bike and is lucky enough to live near lots of off-road tracks to ride through woodland and hills. That sounds really nice. She also keeps a variety of rescue chickens and ducks. I love ducks. They're so cute. <laughs> Joanne's also in the process of renovating her forever home and with two acres of the garden and her aim is to be as self-sufficient as possible. So there's plenty to be kept busy with. So before we start, um, Joanne and I have actually known each other for quite a while now. And although in a formal setting, she's known as Joanne, I know she prefers to be called Jo. So we'll, we'll use that then instead today, if that's okay. That's great, Haley. I was beginning to think I was talking to my mother there. <laughs> Getting in trouble already. <laughs> <laughs> great. So first, could you just give our listeners a, just a quick overview about Mulling Health and your role and kind of what you do there at the moment? Of course. So Mulling Health is a company that's been going since 2009 and we're commissioned by the NHS to um, operate GP practices, urgent care services and out of hours and we do this um, across the country as far as um, Woolwich and then to Shrewsbury and Telford and everywhere else in between. <clears throat> so it's a um, very diverse mix of services in a, in a, in a diverse area spread. Um, and obviously um, getting everyone together is really challenging um, because of the um, geographical spread of everybody. Um, And my role in Morling is that I am the Director of Nursing and Quality for the whole group, um, which I consider to be a very privileged role. I I love my job. Um, It's every day is a school day. Um, I learn something new every day. Um, But also I have the unique opportunity of being able to speak to and communicate with people from all walks of life in lots of different settings on a daily basis. So my job as the director of nursing is, as it says, I am, you know, I'm responsible for nurses and allied health professionals. And we have a range of uh, quite a multidisciplinary team with us. We have paramedics, um, nursing associates and healthcare um, assistants. Um, And as well as the director of nursing, I'm also director for infection prevention and control and health and safety. I'm the nominated individual for the Care Quality Commission, the CQC. So obviously a big responsibility in making sure that all of our services remain compliant with health and social care, the Health and Social Care Act. Sounds like quite a big job then, but I'm glad you enjoy it. There's nothing better than enjoying your job and waking up and being excited, is there? No, exactly. It keeps me busy, keeps me out of mischief and, uh, you know, and does allow me to get my uniform on every now and then and go and work in some of the practices, which is really nice. Do you like doing that when you when you get the chance? Oh, yeah, I love it. As an, you know, as a nurse, it's, um, you know, I, I, I always wanted to progress to this level of, um, of director of nursing. That was my overall aim from when I first started. Um, but I do miss the patient contact. So it is really nice to be able to put my uniform on and um, go back and spend some time with patients. Um, although I don't think the manager's likely being there, but I still, I do enjoy it. <laughs> uh, bet, oh, you, you're nice though. I bet you don't make them nervous. You just have a laugh at them. <laughs> I do, try to. <laughs> 
Um, so obviously big team and, and lots of different kind of roles to communicate with and I know that we want to focus on communication and the importance of that in this podcast today. So why do you think communication is so important, especially in a setting like yours? Well, it all comes down for me to pay, about patient safety um, and you know, poor, poor communication can lead to healthcare errors um, in, in lots of ways. You know, we can give the wrong medication, the wrong dose, um, etc and that can lead to quite significant errors and harm to the patient but also the impact that that can have on the caregiver so as a healthcare professional if you've been you don't feel you've been communicated to properly and you've done something wrong for the patient that's caused harm that can really knock your confidence um, you know make you feel inadequate and so it's really important for me around you know collaborating with your colleagues ensuring that information is accurately transmitted but also that it's received and understood properly um, and by doing that it means that the patients are kept safe and the staff are kept safe in terms of the registration but also in terms of the knock-on impact that it has around confidence. Yeah you mentioned um, kind of collaboration as part of communication there and I know that you often get people say um, communication is about you talking to them and how well you communicate with them but actually people tend to forget that communication isn't a one-way street it's a two-way street and that's the best way to be effective I guess um, yeah definitely yeah it's uh communication isn't just about talking at someone is it <laughs> no and, I th- and in it's in my role what I try what I try really hard to do is to keep people engaged and and make people don't make people feel like communication is being done to them but being done with them Mm. so that you get their opinion their thoughts their suggestions as well as it you know it is a two-way street you know um but i think you know it's such an important part of everyday life whether that's in in your work role or in your personal life and there's so many ways that we communicate these days you know you text messaging, WhatsApp, Teams meetings, email, you know, all of, as well as the verbal and non-verbal communication. So getting it right is is vital. Yeah, you always see kind of um, in job profiles or even when you talk about your own relationship, it's all about communication and without that kind of things fall apart really Um, and a lot of people think that they're good at communication don't they they think yeah I I can communicate I'm really good at that but Mm. how would you describe what's the most effective method of of communication yeah I think uh, you're dead right you know when you look at um, CVs for example you know people always put excellent communicator (laughs) um, and then when you're interviewing um, that that communication is sometimes lost and we'll talk a bit about the barriers later on but uh, you know having effective communication really it's it's more than just that um exchange of information it's not it's it's not just about telling somebody and somebody understanding it you have to really understand uh, the intention behind it so why is somebody communicating to you and understanding the emotion that goes with that you know having that message clearly conveyed to somebody um but also i think to gain the uh, the full understanding of what's being said 
um, is that you have to listen in a way that that makes that person feel that they've been heard and that they've been understood. Um, and so, uh, you know, that those are those things that will, um, you know, make an effective communication rather than communication that's totally ineffective. Yeah, and you talked, you mentioned sort of the barriers mm. there um, mm. and some of the misconceptions that you get or misinterpretations, I guess, of of um, a comms or a piece of comms. What mm. do you think the um, barriers are and kind of what are your thoughts? Yeah, so like using the CV bit again as an example, you know, people do always write, you know, excellent communicator <laughs> and then an interview. Um, that communication you think really <laughs> and and that's and one of the biggest things around that is around stress because you know interviews are stressful um, and that makes you you know you lose your train of thought you can't think quick enough because you're underneath that you're under that pressure um, it's the emotion that sort of becomes out of control if you like that um, that creates that barrier um, for you to be able to communicate effectively and particularly in healthcare, you know, when you're responding to medical emergencies, you know, adrenaline's pumping, there's lots of people around, you know, but at the end of it, you've got a patient whose life is there. And, you know, people start to shout a bit or they, lots of people communicating messages at the same time. Um, so it's important to really keep the focus because that lack of focus on the task in hand can lead to barriers or misinterpretation of communication. And also like inconsistent body language, you know, somebody smiling and nodding and saying yes, but they've got their arms folded and they look pretty grumpy is probably um, a different communication to what they're really feeling. You know, sometimes, you know, people do say, don't they, that the face can tell a thousand stories, you know, and you might be saying one thing, but your face is completely saying something different. Um, and then there's that negative body language that's also uh, you know, can be a real barrier, you know, like I've said, the hands folded, the hands on hips, that kind of thing. Um, it's it, it's a very, com communication's very complicated. We don't think it is, you know, you and I can sit here and have this conversation um, and we don't think nothing of it because we communicate quite regularly. We talk quite regularly and we don't think anything of it. But actually, if you really thought about um the, the complexities that go around that communication, you know, not giving off the wrong messages and not giving off the wrong body language, um, you know, trying not to create those barriers or misinterpreting anything around the communication that there is. Yeah, you forget, don't you, that body language is actually so important when it comes to, to communication and you're just your facial expressions. I'm terrible for facial expressions if I'm... If I'm not happy with something, my face says it all, and I, I really try to make sure that it doesn't. Um, and I just keep yes. smiling. <laughs> and you know, in, the, in the good old days before Teams and video yeah. and Zoom and things like that, we all used to just do phone calls, didn't we? Yeah. And um, you know, you could sit on the phone and you could frown and you could, you know. <laughs> but now you're on Teams and you think, oh, I can't do that because yeah. you can see yourself as well. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> It's true, it really is. Just, it's difficult, isn't it, when you've got so much going on in your mind to remember what you're saying, how you're saying it, how your face looks, how your body looks. It's yeah. it's a lot to remember. And I can imagine, like, being in a hospital setting, if you're talking to a patient, if you're talking to their family members, and it's a stressful situation if mm. you've got to give bad news or something like that. What, what would your advice be to someone in that situation that maybe isn't as confident, I guess? Yeah, I think um, you, you're dead right. I think the way that we communicate to each other 
outside of being in front of a patient is completely different. And, uh, you know, communicating to patients, there's so many things that you have to remember, you know, especially when you're talking about things about giving bad news. Um, you know, and it's really not just hearing what people are saying to you, but listening to what people are saying. There's a difference, isn't there, between just somebody hearing it and somebody actually listening to what's being said. You know, and there's there's things that you can do, you know, try not to interrupt people and make it look like you're interested in what, even if you're not, make it look like you are interested in what they're saying. Um, <clears throat> because sometimes when you're breaking bad news to patients, they'll hear certain things and they'll hear what they want to hear, but they don't hear the full story sometimes. And so as a clinician, it's repeating it, asking them, do you understand? Is there anything that you want to write down? Is there anything that we can, you know, is there any information that we can give you to help you understand that better? Um, it's all those little things that make a big difference to that patient when they've actually left your consulting room um, to be able to ensure that they've really understood what's been said and that they've got further information to go away with. And I think always, always asking patients, is that clear? You know, do you understand? Is there anything else? Have you got any further questions? You know, and giving them you know, time is a thing with everybody at the moment, isn't it? Everyone's mm. in a rush. You know, clinicians only have a certain um, time with patients, but actually giving a patient the time to express themselves or time to ask further questions um, as they think about it is, is really, really important for that communication. And also it builds the rapport between the clinician and the patient as well. If they really believe that you're truly dedicated to them at that time, listening to them, hearing them, talking to them, explaining things. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, especially with something like that where it is, even if it's not, you know, awful news and it's just something that the patient might not want to hear, I think I struggle um, giving mm. bad news all the, well, not all the time because I don't really give much bad news, but if I have to give bad news, I always do struggle and I have to rehearse it in my head as to kind of mm. how I'm going to say it. And But then if that person responds in a way that maybe you've not rehearsed or you're not expecting, it's about also having the confidence to kind of go back, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, just repeating yourself yeah. once more, you know, just to make sure that, you know, the patient might give off some body language that makes you think, actually, I don't think they've understood that or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not sure they've quite grasped that. So it's just repeating it again, you know, and again, observing for their body language, observing for their facial language, just to see it's all that nonverbal stuff that really can make you as a clinician think, mm, I don't think they've quite grasped what I'm saying and trying to maybe word it in a different way. And, you know, clinicians are great at using jargon yeah. and um, you know, that can be another barrier or misinterpretation, um, uh, you know, not just between uh, patient and clinician, but also between clinicians. You know, if you're speaking to people in a language that people just you know, I don't even understand what you've said, you know, um, it's it's quite difficult. And then, of course, there is, you know, the obvious um, barrier can can be, you know, the language barrier, you know, so making sure that. You know, if you know somebody who's coming to see you that's first um, first language isn't English, it's about making sure that you've got the right interpretation services there so that 
that can be relayed in in a language that they really understand rather than a potted version of what you're trying to say and we're really lucky these days with technology and um, that we can get lots of information printed in so many different languages um, which will really support and aid the patient going forward definitely there's um there's a really nice quote that i i think is really strong which is um, most people don't listen with the intent to understand they listen with the intent to reply and i think that's quite powerful when you think about how to communicate especially in kind of situations mm-hmm. that we've talked about so what's your kind of advice on making sure that you remain engaged in what's being said and not constantly thinking about what you're going to say next it's a it is a really powerful statement that um and it is so true isn't it you know when somebody asks you a question your immediate response is i need to reply to that (laughs) you know um uh, my my manager who's the chief exec is really good at saying to us um i'm going to ask you a question but i don't want you to reply to me now i want you to go away i want you to think about it and then come back to me in the next 24 hours and then she asks a question and that's really good because, you know, we don't know everything and, you know, to be able to answer it in a, an appropriate way that gives the right information that she's after might need some digging around or some exploring or some speaking to other people. So she's really good at doing that. And that's something I think that we're all sort of taking away um, to say to people, you know, when we're asking them things, you know, don't reply straight away. Um, have a think about it and let me know what you think. And it is really good. But I think um, my advice about keeping people engaged about what's being said is it is around uh, being fully focused on the speaker, you know, um, you know, listen to what they're saying. And, um, you know, they always say, you know, everyone's got a good ear and a bad ear, you know, always use your right ear or your left ear, whichever one is your good ear to listen to people with, you know. And as I've said before, avoid interrupting. Oh, I mean, I, I have to admit, I am pretty bad at doing that um (laughs) and and i try really hard to like "Mm, keep keep quiet you know don't interrupt people when they're speaking to you um and try to um i think i always as well try to redirect the conversation so if conversations go off you know on a tangent somewhere else is try and redirect it to the message that you're trying to give um and i suppose one of the big things is trying to set aside judgment we don't always agree with everybody, um, but it's, you know, when somebody is coming to you with, I don't know, a really good suggestion about how they think it's a really good suggestion about how to improve things, it's, you know, don't judge them on, on, what they're, on what they're trying to do. Listen to them intently um, and provide the feedback after that. And again, it comes down to the emotion, doesn't it? So, you know, looking at those nonverbal signs and, listening and hearing the emotion behind it you know and um i think being aware of individual differences um you know we all we're colleagues we all work together collaboratively for the right for the same aim but with all the will in the world you can't always get on with everybody and so trying to put aside your little differences to achieve the right outcome is always quite important um and I think the things that we've said as well about the barriers to, um, you know, to keeping people engaged is around, you know, try to speak in quite an open and transparent way rather than, you know, putting barriers in front of you with your arms folded and stuff like that. And um, 
it is it is it is an art uh, keeping people engaged in in what you're having to say or what is being said it is quite an art um um but i think you know going back to your original statement is that um is is that that people don't listen to understand what's being said they are automatically starting to think about well, how am I going to reply to this? And it goes back to the interview thing, doesn't it? You know, when you're being asked a question, you think, I don't know the answer, I don't know the answer. And that's all that you can say in your head rather than really trying to think about, okay, how am I going to get a, a response to this that is actually answering the question or is actually giving them what to want, what they want to hear? And of course, there is absolutely no problem with anybody saying to you, I'm going to have to go away and think about that or... I really don't understand what you're saying. Uh, and I think that's that two-way communication again, is that when you don't know what's being said, ask them to repeat it, ask them to reframe it. Um, it's it's that two-way conversation again. It's that, yeah. Yeah, and it's okay <clears throat> to have a gap and it's okay not to say anything. I think people are worried about awkward silences, aren't they? But actually giving yourself that space to think something through before talking is fine. It's It's normal. Mm, absolutely and um you know there's that, that other old saying is silence is golden sometimes it is quite nice isn't it to just have that little bit of a breeder to be able to compose yourself you know it comes back to you know keeping your stress under control um making sure that you stay focused and just having that little bit of breathing space sometimes is is enough that's needed to make that communication better and more effective yeah um i'm gonna put you on the spot now <laughs> So, oh. <laughs> do you have any kind of examples maybe in your early career or or just an example of um kind of a communication that you've seen where you've thought that could have been better or you've had to learn from it um and really think about it <laughs> i could give you so many um examples of bad communication but i'm gonna try and focus on the positive okay. um I think first of all, I think first of all, one of the things to say that in our company, in the in the company in, in Mulling Health, is that um, we did. I ran a staff survey. Oh, I'm going to say back in 2020, so it was just you know towards the end of the pandemic, and we did our annual staff survey, and we really weren't expecting any of the you know we were, had no idea what to expect from the results because it had been such an awful year. But one of the things that we got back was that people didn't feel that they were communicated to enough. And it wasn't about the things to do with um, guidelines or policies or any of the really important thing. It was just people said they didn't really know who we were. And so um, I set about doing this um, Friday free for all. So every Friday morning, I send out an email to all the nurses and allied health professionals, and called this Friday Fee for All, where I just ask everyone how they're doing. I tell them a little bit about work, about what I've been doing that week. So whether it's been visiting practices, writing bids, or updating policies, or you know other things. And then I also give a bit about home. So what have I been doing at home? So you know. I've worked to clean out the pond or ever been for a bike ride or, you know, cutting hedges or whatever. And um, when I first started doing that, I always put at the bottom, P.S., uh, reply to all, just to me or not at all. The choice <laughs> is actually yours. And at first, didn't get any responses. 
And then after about three or four weeks, started to get one or two responses just to me or to the whole group. And when we have a new nurse start, we always do an introduction to, you know, so-and-so. And um, now I have to block out a Friday morning to be able to respond to people when they come back to me. So we get lots of questions and emails and conversations that start and conversations go off onto a tangent and inevitably it is always about work so that has proved to be a really effective way of just keeping that communication going between uh, you know a group of, of professionals um, and it's been really successful and um, if I don't do it I get an email to say where's the Friday free-for-all today and I'm like I'm on holiday I totally forgot to tell you you know here we go you know <laughs> so it's it's been quite a good it's been quite it's been a very it's been a quite a good simple way of keeping that communication go, flow going um i can give you an example of um poor communication so when i was a i started off my training as an enrolled nurse um so we were called pupil nurses when we were in our training phase and um as a, as a young pupil nurse i was doing a stint on pediatrics and um uh, one of the nurses had said to me, oh, can you give that child in that room there that bottle of milk? So, of course, I go into the room and there's a bottle of milk there and I just feed this baby this bottle of milk. The baby drunk it, a little bit of wind, blah, 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 blah. Everything's fine. Nurse comes back and says, did you give it all the milk? And I was like, yeah, because she said give them a bottle of milk. She was like, yeah, but he only has so much. And I was like, well, I didn't know. And I felt really bad. I thought that I'd probably overfed this child. You know, I was 20. I'd got no idea about kids. I didn't know whether I'd overfed it or anything. But, you know, poor communication, really. She should have said, been more explicit. But equally, I should have said, how much do you want me to give them? Is it the whole bottle? Is it half or whatever? So, again, that learning process about it being a two-way thing. Um, and I think from a good communication example, um, I can. I, we had over the pandemic, we had a lot of patients that come into our GP surgeries who were refusing to wear face coverings, um, you know, for whatever reason. They didn't believe in the pandemic and they weren't going to wear face coverings. But we had a lot of our nurses that felt really uncomfortable looking after these patients um, because they felt exposed, understandably. Um, but obviously cannot refuse to give care to these patients. Um, and so getting emails from people saying, I'm not seeing this patient because they're not wearing a face mask and being able to, you know, I had to formulate a response to these people in a way that understood their concerns, you know, understood their emotions behind it and their anxieties and their fears about contracting COVID when they were doing their absolute best um, to try and keep people safe. Um, but also trying to explain to them that, you know, you've got a duty of care. You've got a duty of care to provide care to these patients. And so here are the things that you can do to protect yourself looking after a patient that won't wear a face mask. Um, and that was and that worked really well because people were coming back saying thanks for the advice rather than I'm still not seeing the patient. And I felt if I'd have just said, you've got a duty of care, you need to see these patients, I'm sure they'd have come back and said, well, I'm not. You know, so it was just understanding and having that bit of sympathy and a bit of empathy around it um, to make them understand that, you know, I hear you, I understand what you're going through, um, but we have got a duty of care and these are the ways that you can protect yourselves further. Um, and 
it can go one of two ways, can't it, sometimes? But I think if you take the time to just really understand what they're saying, you know, they're not saying to you, I'm not refusing to sit, I'm refusing to see the patient. There's more to it. it. And it comes back to that understanding the emotion, understanding the feelings. You know, it was a high, you know, highly emotion, emotive driven scenario in a time when everyone was really uncertain and unsure of what was going to happen if they were looking after a patient that wasn't wearing a face mask. So I think that was, a, you know, an example for me. That's a, a fairly good example of how how to get a message across. You must do this, but explaining why fully and making sure that they've got alternative ways to keep themselves safe. Um, and, you know, there are... There are different things that you can do around that, can't you? You know, yes, I had to assert myself in that situation as the director of nursing. I have to be able to tell staff that they've got this duty of care. But it's around recognising that there are other things at play here. It's not just somebody saying, I'm not looking after that patient. There is there is a lot more to it than that. Yeah, it's definitely about getting that buy-in from whoever you're talking to, because otherwise, without buy-in, it's just not going to work, is it? We had... Um... We had a guest on a few weeks ago. Um, it was the CEO of a company called Iatro, and they support practices um, with kind of communication and um, website communication and, and how they basically put messages out to the patients. Um, and he was talking about how busy practices are, and we got into a conversation around kind of patients are unhappy about like the fact that they're too busy practices are unhappy that Mm. patients don't understand they're too busy and then it's just this massive circle of I'm too busy but you're not helping me and and so Mm. on and it's but then no one's really communicating effectively and making people understand Mm. um it's like how do you how do you overcome that kind of issue yeah and it is we are in at the moment it is a very it's an unprecedented situation at the moment in healthcare because secondary care is absolutely at, at, at crisis point, you know, A&Es are overrun, uh, hospitals are full of patients that can't be moved on. GP practices are seeing patients, more patients now than they've ever seen with more appointments than they've ever had, extended hours. And it's just, there's nothing, nothing sort of moving at the moment. The demand has absolutely outweighed um, the capacity of healthcare. And, um, it's a really challenging time and for a patient at the end of it when you just want to see somebody you just want to get a solution to a problem that you've got and being faced with these obstacles it's really difficult and yes as professionals healthcare professionals we absolutely understand that because let's not forget at some point we are patients ourselves um you know but equally um you know, the majority of patients do understand the pressures that people are on, but when you're unwell or you're frustrated, it's easy to lose that temper, isn't it? It comes back to that emotion, isn't it? It's that frustrated, that snappiness, that, you know, complaining, you know, and people take to social media to complain all the time about everything. Um, nobody comes to social media and say, oh, this is a brilliant service, <laughs> you know. And say, well, they do, but, you know, yeah. it's more often that they take to the social media platforms to communicate negativities, which spreads like wildfire, doesn't it? You know, it's um, it's a really powerful tool, social media. Um, and I think, um, you know, those words that need to be delivered have to be very well thought out. And it, and it comes again to not just saying to people, we've got no appointments. 
it's about messaging right to make sure that the the message is understood it's to say you know we've seen for example one of our practices says today we have seen x number of patients face to face we've done this many patients video calls we've had this many telephone calls and this many home visits and it sort of gives the message to say you know we're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs we're actually working really hard but we have no more capacity you know but then it's giving the patient alternatives you know i understand that you really need to see somebody so here are the alternatives that you can go to you know your nhs 11 your urgent care centers blah blah um and it's giving that message isn't it it's not just saying we're full doors are shut it's about we're full doors are shut but here's an alternative so i think it's it's giving that message again it's that two way communication isn't it to make people understand that we're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs doing nothing. We have been working really hard today and it'll be the same tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But there are alternatives. Um, yeah, it's it's a very difficult situation. You will never, I think at the moment, the, the trying to get those messages across is, it's frustrating for both, for every party. And um, sometimes you can say things and explain things in a really nice way but you'll some, sometimes those it's it's not understood that way and it will never be um and it can be quite frustrating and challenging for everyone involved i mean the media doesn't help does it really when you've got so much noise coming from the media about how this is going on and this is wrong and look at this hospital and this has happened and it, it's just it can be frustrating how do you get rid of that noise and then put your noise there instead mm-hmm. it's, it must be really challenging it is, and it, it, it's it's very sad. Uh, some of the things that get reported are, you know, it's just, it's a very, very sad place to be in. And, um, yeah, I, I can't answer what about the press. It's just, it's just, it's a very, we try very hard not to respond to things on social media because um, we try and contact the person directly or ask them to contact us directly if they've made a specific comment about one of our services because I feel that we always feel that if you start getting into that social media very public conversation um, other people start joining into that conversation and then the person that actually made the comment in the first place gets lost somewhere so we try very hard to say please contact us directly on this number rather than engaging in that um, very very public um, conversation because it's not fair on the person that's made that comment but equally it makes it very difficult for us then to keep that focus and that drive on the thing that's been said in the first place. Thanks again so much for joining us Joe. I've learned a lot from from today and I'm really looking forward to talking to you again next week so um, yeah next week please join us again as we'll be back with Joe. don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you've got any questions for us for our guests for joe then please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com thank you